tonight uh, is Wednesday night and uh, tonight and obviously tomorrow is uh, Shiva's Betamuz which is a fast day and uh, Shiva's Betamuz many things happened obviously which were uh, considerably tragic to the Jewish people one of the things that happened obviously was that they breached the walls of Jerusalem and ultimately on Tisha B'Av it was destroyed uh, either by the Babylonians Tisha B'Av or by the Romans the second base Amigdash second temple and so on you know <clears throat> but uh, Shiva Thomas is in many ways a tragic day as I said for the, for the Jewish people in fact I'll tell you something which is very interesting tonight's Shia by the way is not about Shiva Thomas but I, I did want to mention a, a couple of ideas especially as we will see as it relates to America which it does very significant but um, the two greatest days in the year that represent the two greatest tra or that the, that the uh, two greatest tragedies in the history of mankind really occurred <clears throat> on Rosh Hashanah which is the first day of the year and also Shiva Sabatamas the 17th day of Thomas. Now you may say to me, that's incredible. Why is that so? And the answer to that is because on both days, the ability of somebody to be the Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David was destroyed. On Rosh Hashanah we know, Adam Mauritian would have been a Mashiach had he not sinned, you know, and not eaten from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. Uh, we know he would have been the Mashiach. However, since he ate from the tree, obviously he wasn't. He didn't become that. So that clearly is the greatest day in terms of tragedy of the Jewish people. So people don't realize that. <clears throat> that the day of Rosh Hashanah, which is the uh, first day of Tishrei, you see, was the first day and it was the greatest tragedy in the history of the world because it meant that the Mashiach would not come and therefore there would be no redemption. The second greatest tragic day is Shiva Sabatamas. Why? Because one of the things that occurred on Shiva Sabatamas is Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain. He saw the Jewish people worshipping the golden calf, the Chetu Egel, and he threw the Luchos, Rishonis, he threw the first tablets down the bottom of the mountain and they shattered. Now that was the second greatest tragic day in the history of man because Moshe Rabbeinu should have been Mashiach ben Yosef. Had the Jews not sinned on that day, he would have been the Mashiach ben Yosef. And that would have ended the Tikkun process basically. And he, like being the Mashiach, that would have been the Geula, that would have been the redemption. You see? So those two days, Rosh Hashanah, by the fall of man, Adam Harishan, first man, and by the fall of the Jewish people, so to speak, and Moshe Rabbeinu could not be the Mashiach, the redemption on, in both, at, at both times was foiled, was, was uh, made impossible. Uh, and therefore, both of these days are the greatest days, tragic days. In any case, today is uh, Shiva Thomas, 
and uh, it is very much connected as we will see to what's happening in America and um, today's shear is really about the American exile because believe it or not we are in Golis and America is a Golis and I want to talk about that and uh, the possible how it could end how the Golis in America could end which I think is a very important concept to the Jewish people. <clears throat> I'm going to start the shield off by asking three questions. The first question is, we know that in this year there are two events which occurred in America which in many ways are catastrophic. The first event was the pandemic, which of course uh, we all know what that does shut down uh, the, uh, the American economy. And uh, not only that, how many people suffered from it, how many lives were lost. And America is still suffering from it because in certain, certainly we have not gotten over the pandemic, you see. But what it has also done is it, it has erased the achievements of Trump. Trump has, has accomplished tremendous uh, achievements, we know that, without going into that, and m m many of them which he has accomplished uh, are historical in terms of unemployment, uh, he, uh, the amount of jobs, and the, uh, the removal of bureaucracy and regulations, and the oil independence. There's so many things that he's done which are in many ways remarkable. But what the pandemic has done is brought the entire achievement of Trump to a halt. That's the first thing. The second catastrophic event in America has been an unsurpassed race riots. It's just incredible what happened. Tragically, George Floyd was murdered. That's really what, it, what happened. And what happened was is that there were riots, murders, arson, looting, chaos, and so on that has erupted across the American landscape, you see. And that obviously, what that has done is that it seems to have given tremendous power uh, to the liberal Democrats. A tremendous amount of uh, recognition and power and so on to the, like I said, the radical left, liberal Democrats, uh, and uh, the liberals in general and so on, both of which, of course, is again against Trump because it has tremendously empowered them to defy Trump and to offer a very serious threat to his re-election campaign. So the question is, that's interesting. Why would Durbanusham do that? Why did he make these things happen after he was elected? And after he was elected, well, it happened. You know, but his election is not threatened at all because it would be after his election and he's into a second term. So there's no concern, you know, that he won't have a second term. Now everybody's wondering what is going to happen. So the question is why did Bershom do that? Why did he allow it to happen, you see, before the November 3rd election? Second question is there's a well-known Rabbi Chaim Volozhin, who was the greatest student or Talmud of the Vilna Goyen. And uh, when questioned about America, 
he is said to have said, it is said that he says that America is the last Galut, Golis. It is the last exile of the Jews. In other words, this is the last stop. Now, clearly what that means is two ideas. One is that America is a Golis. It is an exile. It is among the exiles that the Jewish people have to go through. Uh, and the, the second idea which we can glean from this is that it is the last exile, which means that the redemption will happen after the American exile will be over. Because that's what it also means. Every exile in the end will end, we know that. So therefore, America, which is the last exile, according to Rab Chaim Volozhin, since it's the last exile, what that means is that right after that is the redemption, which is the arrival of the Mashiach. So what does Rab Chaim Volozhin mean? You know, in a certain sense, not how did he know, but what's the significance of what he said uh, based on the divine agenda? That is the question I want to ask. Uh, and the, um, so I'd like to begin, like I said, we're talking about the concept of Golis, exile. So I'd like to talk about uh, what exactly is Golis. And I think it's very profitable for us to understand what it is that we struggle with what is it? What is the d definitive concept of Golis? Now I'm, I'm going to be brief. I'm not going to go at long, long, uh, you know, at length uh, explaining this. Uh, but if you recall, Adam Harishan, the first man, he was commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Fine. Now, what was important then? What was his? What was his uh, job, so to speak? What was his task? His task basically was to avoid evil. His task was to avoid going against the will of God, merely to avoid it. And what that means is that the Sutton who was offering that tremendous argument, temptation, what the Sutton was saying, you know, in, in the form of the Nochash, which is a snake, that was the mouthpiece of the Sutton. And he was saying, of course, to Chava and to Adam, please eat from the tree because it will make you like God. And that's what the Satan was offering. But the Satan had no power over man's body because Adam Marishan was, he was in a dimension which was far beyond the ability of the Satan to in, many, in, in any way uh, influence the body of Adam. But he could offer an argument, uh, you see. So therefore, what Adam's job basically is, is to avoid the, uh, the uh, um, temptations of the Satan and not to eat from that tree, which is the will of God. If he had done that, then he would, he would have allowed Kedusha, enormous amount of Kedusha, holiness, to enter the world. That's called his Pashtus Kedusha. It's called the, the proliferation of holiness. And that was his job. And his achievement would have been to bring down tremendous amount of holiness and that would have ushered in a messianic era and he could have, of course, if he would have held out until the evening, let's say 6 p.m., which of course was Friday, then he would have been the Mashiach and that would have ushered in the redemption itself. 
So his job basically was to avoid the temptations of evil and that would bring an enormous amount of kedusha, of holiness. That's called Ispashas Kedusha. Now we know he failed. So when he failed, there's something radical that happened. What happened is that Odom fell from his lofty place in Gan Eden where the Sutton had no power in terms of the body of Adam, what happened is, is he empowered the Sutton to become much greater. And therefore, Adam, so to speak, fell into a different dimension of reality in which the Sutton has rule. It's called Zoyamo, which means contamination, you see, or defilement. So Adam was in a dimension of reality that, had, that did not have that defilement of the sultan. However, after he, he sinned, he fell into that dimension, which is called Oilam the world of action. And in that world, the sultan has tremendous amount of influence because he can project, that's what he does. He can project his energy, his defilement, you see. So therefore, the body of man became subject to the defilement or the contamination of this thing called Zoyamo, which is a projection or a product of the Sutton's being in and of itself. You see, as such, he was then subject to death because the essential nature of the Zoyamo is what's called decomposition. And what that means is that anything that the Sutton has that type of influence over will decompose. And that is why all living matter decomposes. Because we are in Oil and that is the dimension in which the Sutton rules. And as a result of that, everything decomposes ultimately. You see. So therefore, the, the task of man no longer was just to avoid evil and bring in holiness. The task of man now was to deal with the Zoyama. You see. To deal and to rid himself of this satanic influence on the physical body. And that became the new task of man after the fall of Odomarishim. And that continued. But what was interesting is that if a person did do that, and the way to do that, of course, is to withstand the temptations of the Sutton in this world, then he also would bring down a tremendous, he would withstand the temptations. The Sutton's ability to influence a person would be enormously weakened. And that person would bring down ultimate Kiddusha or holiness. And he could do it fully. Man had the full potential to, to activate what, 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 what he could have become, you see. So that avoider is called Kfir Surah, to subjugate or to subdue evil, you see. And as a result of that, also to bring holiness into the world. And at that point in time, he could fully enjoy the realization of his complete potential. This is the concept, of course, of Kfir Sarah, to subdue evil. Now we begin to see, therefore, that the, uh, the, in, in the beginning, the obstacle of man wasn't that he can't fulfill his potential, but to avoid being coming ensnared in the advice of the Sultan. The second aspect of man's task is to avoid actually the satanic urges that every person has. 
because a satan now has influence over your body, then all the urges and drives that you have basically are the origin of that is satanic. You see? But he could fight that in a sense and he could also achieve a tremendous amount or, or his full potential of holiness if he had done that. But at that already, the obstacle is to, is to, uh, to uh, fight the actual satanic urges that a person has in his body. We now carry around a snake in our mind, in our psyche, you see. And that already, the obstacle is the Zoyama itself, you see. <clears throat> now, the third area of man is different, or the third avoid of man. And that's where a person has to struggle with Zoyama, which is unbelievably unleashed, you see. And there are tremendous obstacles to overcome in this way. And there we begin to see the concept of Golos, which is what? Exile. Which is where a, a person now has to contend with enormous obstacles and forces, you see, uh, in order to achieve some aspect of holiness. Therefore, what we begin to realize, and but the, the interesting thing about it is that in that stage of avoida or the task of man, you see, he cannot reach his full potential. The main idea in that uh, era or that stage is what is called a struggle. Man struggles and he does achieve, but it can never be the achievement that he could have accomplished before or rather in the second stage when he could have fully achieved what he would have wanted to do. Uh, you know, and so on, after he would be uh, fighting the satanic influence. So that third stage is that a person is not merely exiled from a place. You know, we think that exile is, well, we're not in our place. You know, we're not in Israel, we're not in Eretz Israel, right? And we no longer have the Beis Hamikdash. you know, as the enormous amount of uh, the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence being in Eretz Israel. So, we're exiled from our place, which is Eretz Israel. No. The concept of Golos is much worse, because the concept of Golos is that we, we are exiled from ourselves. We cannot even be what we could be. This is the problem. We are so caught up in the Zoyama, it is so enormously intensified, that basically our task is to struggle, to try to achieve. But how many of us struggle? Years go by and we hardly move toward Kedusha, toward holiness, you see. So what Golos is, and that's one of the great tragedies of the exile, is that we are displaced from ourselves. We are displaced from our potential to be actualized. And this in many ways is the third aspect of Avoida, is the third idea. It's the most difficult struggle of all and it has been going on for thousands of years. You see, certainly for the last 2,000 years, but actually since the destruction of the first temple, it has been going on. Well, we struggle to be what we can be. You know, it's an interesting uh, statement. I think it's from the army. You know, they try to get you to join the army. So what they say is, you know, be all you can be, you know. And that statement really uh, was true in the second level of Avoida. But in the third level of Avoidah, the task, the third task and so on, is that most of our actions are really struggles. 
we, we hardly achieve, and even if we do achieve, you see, it takes years and years, you see, but it's never to the fullest extent of what we could have been. Much harder, and of course all of this is a result of the sin of, of, the, of the Jewish people. They sin, unfortunately, constantly, and therefore the Zoyama grows in strength. So therefore, what are we looking at? We're looking at three concepts or three stages of, 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 uh, of uh, uh, the Avoida, of the task of man, you see. Where do we see this? You know, it's interesting, there's a Gemara, I think it's in Sukkah, where the Gemara says that Hillel had 80 students. Some of the students were so great that they could have the divine presence rest on them, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Could you imagine that? Some of the students could stop the sun in its path, like Yeshua, when he was engaged in a war, he said the sun to stop so it wouldn't become nightfall, you see. Could you imagine that? So the, the question is, why couldn't they? And the answer is because the, it says, because the generation wasn't worthy to have that type of people, you see. In other words, they could not actualize their full potential. Because obviously if the Divine Presence rests on you, that means that you have a tremendous amount of achievement that you've done, and with the Divine Presence resting on you, you become greater even. And that it becomes a lack of achievement when the Divine Presence does not rest on you. And the reason for that is because that is the third stage of man, or the Jew that he cannot achieve what his potential allows him. This will all be solved or ended in the Messianic era, where every Jew will be able to access unbelievable holiness with incredible ease. No difficulty. You see, why? Because there's no Zoyama anymore. Mashiach ben David will have destroyed or in whatever, altered the character of the Sultan. It's an argument whatever. So there is no more Zoyama. And as a result of that, you can now access holiness with unbelievable ease, you see? And you can do it with a full potential. So that will be restored to the Jewish people, which is interesting. In any case, now, the exile, the, the nations that exiled the Jews, just to mention them, there are eight of them. And they, these are they. There is Egypt, which is the first exile. The second one is Babylon, Babel, which of course destroyed the temple. This, the third one was Persia, which of course is Achashverosh, it's Poras. The fourth one was Yavan, Greece, which of course is the whole story of Hanukkah. And the fifth one is Rome, which of course uh, destroyed the second base of Migdash. And also we have been in the exile of Rome for the last 2,000 years. Now in the end of time, you will have, th those are five kingdoms that will subjugate the Jews. In the end of time, which we are now in, there will be an additional three. And they are, they are Yishmoel, uh, which is the Muslims. The second one is Amalek, the Amalekites. And the third one will be the Erev Rav. 
And the Erev Rav, as I mentioned many times, are really Jews that want to cancel or negate or erase the bond that the Jews have with God, the covenant, the agreement, and supplant it with culture, Jewish culture, or whatever. Uh, they want to remove the uniqueness that the Jewish people have with God and just make them a regular nation, but with a unique culture, you see. That's the Erev Rav. Any case, those are the eight, uh, the eight what's called Shibudim, Shibud Malchus. Those are the uh, actually there basically there are um, four of them, and that's Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. You see. <clears throat> In any case, these are the eight uh, nations of the world that will subjugate the Jews and bring them into, of course, Gullus. Now, uh, just take a, a short look. They're really described in the Torah because the Torah refers in the beginning or in Bereshis, it says, and God, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then it says, it was unformed, is void, is empty, is darkness, and uh, Tahoim is the abyss, is the deep sea. So the Medrash says that these four terms refer actually, refer actually to the exiles, the four exiles, the main exiles. Babylon is Tohu, uh, uh, Persia is Vohu, uh, and Choshech is Rome, is, excuse me, is Greece, and Tahoim, the abyss, is Rome. And it's, it's worthwhile just taking a look, at least uh, superficially, uh, what exactly are, is the essential nature of these exiles that perform such a tremendous job of uh, an impediment and an obstacle to the Jewish people. Well, the first one is basically a mixture of good and evil in the same environment. And because of that, it evokes an enormous amount of confusion. This is Babylon. Because Babylon had a tremendous amount of Avodah uh, worshipping of idols, which in many ways is spiritual. Obviously, it's just the wrong kind of spirituality. But they did believe in deities. So it's a mixture of spirituality uh, with, together uh, with the wrong kind of spirituality. Then the second one, which is Persia. Persia was a very physically dominant country. It's basically just bad. There's no real spirituality in Persia, you see. And the third one was Greece. And Greece presented a tremendous obstacle. And that is an alternative understanding of reality devoid of spirituality. In other words, they actually had a, <clears throat> a system of reality that would explain everything. It wasn't merely evil. It was an entire justification and a system, intellectual system, uh, which, which, which was devoid of spirituality. This is a Greek philosophy and Greek science. Now, the obstacle of Rome is that the, the dogma or the doctrine of, uh, or the beliefs of Greece was now spread throughout the entire world. And that's what Rome really did. They took the culture of Greece, uh, and they made it the dominant culture throughout the entire world. That's what they did. That's Rome. So these then would be the impediments or the obstacles that would present themselves if you were in that particular 
exile or goes. <clears throat> now, what I want to focus on, however, is the concept we know that Rome was one of the major exiles of the Jewish people. In fact, it is the greatest of all the exiles. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look who Rome really is. Everything starts from Esau. <clears throat> Esau, who's the brother of Yaakov, is, of course, failed, and I mentioned a long time ago that he was really supposed to be a patriarch, of, but he failed. <clears throat> um, in any case, so Esau's job now became somebody to persecute Yaakov. In other words, if Yaakov was doing a sin, then Esau would persecute him in the sense of an exile, you see. So Esau is the fourth exile, you see, uh, which was the longest of all the exiles. And I'm skipping a lot of ideas, which I had mentioned that previously. Now, Esau became Edom. And Edom, of course, is the Edomites. You see, Edom, of course, the Edomites. Um, and Esau became a nation called Edom. Then Edom became Rome. The Torah says that Esau became Edom. And the Gomorrah says that Edom became Rome. <coughs> and Rome, of course, is an exile uh, of which we have been under for 2,000 years. Even though the Roman Empire disappeared. Because Rome was, trans it was changed, it was transformed as an exile, really, into Christianity. And what Christianity did is it took over the exile over the Jews of Rome, and you could see that because Christianity and Rome are so intertwined. You know, anybody goes to Italy and looks at the Vatican, you see all kinds of Roman, Roman artifacts and, uh, effects and so on, you know. But Rome became, instead of a nation that would exile the Jews, it would become a religion, Christianity. And of course we know that the Christians, I mean, uh, a tremendous majority of them, have created an enormous amount of death and destruction to the Jewish people for 2,000 years, you see. Now, Christianity today is represented, really, by Western civilization. And Western civilization, which is basically Christian, has taken over the exile of Christianity, you see. Now, it's interesting to note that Esau had three characteristics. One characteristic characteristic is that he was an incredibly arrogant person. You see, Vayivas Esav as a and Esav despised the first right, the firstborn right. Esav was an un unbelievable arrogant individual, haughty, and so on. The second characteristic of Esav is that he's a fraud. He's an imposter. He's a fake. He made believe that he was righteous, but meanwhile. He was an incredibly evil person who committed terrible sins of which the Torah mentions and so on, you see. So that's the second characteristic of Esau. And the third characteristic of Esau is he was a tremendous Baltaiva. He was a tremendous uh, pleasure-seeking individual. Hedonism, you see. So because of that, Western civilization represents Esau, as I mentioned, has these three characteristics. 
The characteristics of the arrogance of Esau is represented by Russia, the Soviet Union, that for so many years they were atheists, and therefore what they, of course, believed in themselves, man's dominance over God, or man's dominance totally, they didn't believe in God, it was atheistic. So the arrogance of Esau is represented by Russia in the form of the Soviet Union. Because before that, Russia was the Russian Orthodox Church, you see, and that is, of course, is one of the segments of Christianity. So the arrogance of Esau is uh, communism. The second idea, which is the Mirma, the fraud, is represented by Europe. Because Europe professes to be righteous, okay, but Europe has killed more Jews uh, than maybe all the exiles put together, which is, when you think about that, is incredible. Christianity is responsible for the death of hundreds of millions of people over the 2,000 years, you see. So therefore, and it's fraudulent. Why? Because they're supposed to be righteous. They say, turn the other cheek. Meanwhile, it's your cheek that they turn, you see. And they have destroyed so many different nations and cultures and so on. And the third area of Esau, or characteristic of Esau, is taiva, is pleasure. And the nation that represents the taiva of Esau, uh, which, by the way, is the mildest form of Esau, is America. America is a land that is tremendously into this world, Oilum Hazer, materialism, pleasure. You see, that's what they're into. So there you have it. You have the three characteristics of Esau represented by the three different sections of Western civilization. And therefore, these are the exiles that the Jews have to go through. All of these exiles. And all of them offer terrible impediments, obstacles, and the Jews struggle mightily in order to overcome this because that's in many ways a stage three avoider, you see, where you have to struggle against the Zoyamah, you see, in order to become righteous and God-fearing. <clears throat> now, what's interesting is this. If you take Rome, Rome is called the evil of Esau. That's really what it was. You know, Rome dominated the entire world and committed a terrible acts of destruction and death and so on, uh, you see. But there was a Roman emperor who ruled, I think, from 160 CE to about 180 or 185 CE. His name was Marcus Aurelius Antoninus. And he actually wrote a book called The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. He's a bright guy. He was a thinker, you see. Uh, but Marcus Aurelius Antoninus was unusual. He, there was a certain amount of time that he went to Tiberia, Tiberius. And there he met Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the great Rebbe who wrote the Mishnahis, who was, who was among the greatest of the Tanoim, those people who wrote the Mishnah. In fact, Rebbe did write the Mishnah. Uh, what was unusual about Marcus Aurelius is that he really loved Rebbe. I mean, there's a story in the Gemara that says that Rebbe once didn't feel well, 
Marcus Aurelius, and he had wanted to get onto his bed. <coughs> so Marcus Aurelius said to him, well, let me help you get on the bed. You know, apparently the bed was high. So Marcus Aurelius said, I'll bend down. You'll put your foot on top of my back. And from that, I will serve as a pedestal for you to get into your bed. So Rebbe was stunned. He says, am I going to use the emperor of the Roman Empire as a footstool? You see? And Marcus Aurelius answered, he says, better to be your footstool, you know, here and, and, and then to be, uh, and to be that in, in the future world. Marcus Aurelius loved Rebbe, which is incredible. Uh, so therefore, Marcus Aurelius already, what's called the Toiv Shebe Esav, the good part of Esav. Why? Because he understood the incredible value of the Jews and the incredible value of the Jewish, the Torah itself. In fact, uh, it's related in the Gemara that Marcus Aurelius wanted to help the scholars, the Tamidi Chachomim of Tiberius, to learn Torah. And so he, he did, uh, is he removed the tax that the Romans had placed on many people. And as a result of that, <clears throat> people be, were, were able to learn Torah. Could you imagine what Marcus Aurelius did? Is that he allowed uh, the Jewish people to learn their Torah? He, he actually promoted it and fostered it. It's incredible. The second thing Marcus Aurelius did was even greater. Because Rebbe knew there was a tremendous problem. The Jews were now going to go into exile, real exile. At least until now they were in Israel. But now they were going to spread out to all the lands of the earth. But the problem was, is that the Torah, especially the Torah Shabbat, which is the oral law, had no standard text. Each person who would learn and then teach it to his students used his own wording to describe the oral law. And Rebbe realized that this will never go in the exile, the real exile, where everybody is now spread out throughout the world. You need a standardized text, you see? So what, what Rebbe was able to do, and it's because of Marcus Aurelius, is what? Uh, is that he was able to remove the persecution of the Jews. So it comes out that in his time, about 20 or 25 years, the Jewish, the, the, there was an incredible peace that he was able to foster for the Jewish people. And because of that, Rebbe was able to hold a convention of all these Tanoim, and bring them down and they would repeat their learnings and Rebbe was able to standardize all the Torah Shabbat in a uniform text called the Mishnah and because of that the Jews now had a standardized text called the Mishnah and they would take it with them through the exile so it comes out that Marcus Aurelius not only helped Jewish scholars learn promoted the Torah but he actually was responsible for the Kiyom for the fact that uh, the Torah Shabbat Peh was able to last, endure in the exile of the Jewish people. You talk about a Tev Shabbat That's who he was. Marcus Aurelius Antoninus. And that really is the beginning of the Tev Shabbat <clears throat> You see. In any case. So we now have an understanding of the, the concepts of what Golis is the nations that exiled the Jews, that we, the nations that we have been in exile, 
uh, the problem with exile that we are exiled from our own potential in many ways and so on and we see Rome Aesop Christianity Western civilization as the last embodiment of Aesop you see <clears throat> now I have mentioned many times the concept of Toshiba Aesop and I have now given you the origin of that concept that Aesop in the end I mentioned a long time ago many times that in the end Aesop does tshuva he repents because he wanted to repent when he met Yaakov he told him when Yaakov returned from Lavan Aesop met him and he said let that which is yours be yours you see and Rashi says what that means is that he said that the blessings are yours the land of Israel is yours it's all yours well, what does that mean? He's coming to kill Yaakov with 400 men and he now recants. He now changes his mind. And the answer is because Esau was literally at the doorstep of doing tshuva. Unfortunately, Yaakov did not recognize that without getting into that. I've explored that many times in previous lectures. Okay. So therefore, Esau never did tshuva and he went back to his path of evil. So God said that because he wanted to do tshuva and Yaakov missed the opportunity, in the end, you will do tshuva. You will repent. And that repentance will be the good part of Esau. And you will assist Yaakov to do the tikkun, to do the rectification of creation. But this will be before the Mashiach comes. And therefore you will get tremendous credit for what you have done. You see, therefore, what we see, therefore, is that in many ways the beginning of the Tev Shebeisav is this concept of Marcus Aurelius, who is the emperor of Rome. You see, in any case, so these are the ideas so far. Now, today is July 8th, actually tomorrow is July 9th, which I said is Shivasabatamas is the 17th day, 17th day of Thomas. Okay. Now, what is interesting about that day, besides the Jewish catastrophes, is something that has occurred on that day, which I want to mention. And most people are not aware of this. The Declaration of Independence, when was it signed? It was signed on July 4th, 1776. Do you know that that day was Shiva Osaba Thomas? That's right. July 4th, 1776 was Independence Day. That was signed, the Declaration of Independence was signed by all 56 people, if I remember correctly the number. Okay. It was signed then on July 4th, right? But that day in the Hebrew calendar is Yud Zayin Tammuz, Shiva Tammuz. That's amazing. Why would that happen? Why would America rise? And that's obviously the beginning, that's the birthday of America. Why would that happen on July 4th? Why would that happen on Shiva Osabatamas? You see. And the answer is something which is very strange. You see. This is the beginning, really, of the Tov Shabbat Because America is the least harsh of all the nations that subjugated the Jews. It's amazing. <clears throat> you take a look at Russia, they slaughtered the Jews. 
you take a look at Europe, they slaughtered the Jews. America has been a nation that has allowed the Jews to learn Torah, to practice their religion. In fact, they have allowed all nations to practice their religion. That's enshrined in what? In the First Amendment of the, of the Bill of Rights. Freedom of religion. You see? Therefore, America is the Tov Shebeisav. It's a good part of Esav. That's doing tshuva. You see? Uh, and therefore, they have enabled Jewish people to tremendously grow and excel in Torah wisdom and in Judaism, in the tikkun process, the rectification process itself. So, in a certain sense, but the question is why? And if you remember <coughs> that the Chazal say that the Mashiach bin David will come on Tisha B'Av, which is interesting. Now, what, is it, what does that mean? That it seems to mean that that day will be changed from a day of Khurban, of destruction, of terrible mourning by the Jewish people. That day will become a day of unbelievable glory and thanksgiving because the redemption will begin on Tishabov. <coughs> so, what is interesting is the same idea is not only Tishabov is also Shiva Asabatamas, you see. Uh, that the, the day of Shiva Asabatamas, which is a day of terrible destruction of the Jewish people, when the walls were breached in the temple, uh, in the temple, in the second temple, and so on, that day will be the founding of Esau, the good part of Esau, you see. And in a certain sense, the good part of Esau means that that is the beginning of Esau doing tshuva, of repenting. Yes, in a certain sense, one can almost consider this as the beginning of redemption. I know it's interesting, it's hard to believe, uh, but when Esau does tshuva, when the Jews can now go to a country where they can learn Torah and be righteous and observe their religion, you see, uh, that itself is a beginning, is, is a redemptive concept. And that is the day that the Tev Esav, the good part of Esav, is created, you see. So in a certain sense, July 4th, or rather I should say Yud Zayin Tammuz, right, is, is, is the beginning of a messianic era or the precursor to a messianic era uh, because it allows the America to grow which is the Tev of the good part of Esau uh, where the Jews will be able to reach tremendous heights in, in Judaism and learning Torah that's really what it meant because America has always been an incredible country that respects religion and so many other freedoms that we have but what it does for Judaism is allows Judaism to prosper and flourish and to become, of course, do the tikkun process. That's messianic. So look how much America is tied, interestingly enough, to the messianic process. Because even though it's an exile, America's an exile, but it's what's called a, a gentle exile, you see. It's gentle. Because... Jews can do whatever they want, prosperity and so on, flourish with total freedom. That's why America is really the greatest country that has ever existed, you know, in terms of the non-Jews and so on. So in that sense, July 4th, which was Yud Zayin Thomas, thus it's of course the 17th day of Thomas, 
in many ways is a beginning of the Geula because it's the beginning of the Tev Shebe'esav the old guy Marcus Aurelius who really was the beginning of Tev Shebe'esav now the country of America you see now is, uh, it has its origin in the 17th day of Tammuz you see and therefore that is also one of the reasons why God is so good to America have to realize that America has a tremendous amount of divine providence, divine assistance. You know, it's funny, I much mentioned even the Civil War. Why did the Civil War happen? Because America was responsible, even though they didn't capture the, the black slaves, the African the African slaves in, in that, but they bought them and they held them. You know, if you take somebody who's kidnapped, right, and you buy the kidnapped person from him, right? You're also a kidnapper. It's the same thing, even if you didn't originate the kidnapping process. So therefore, America was guilty of death because the, the, uh, the Oynish, the punishment of kidnapping is death. So could you imagine when America was a slave country, a country that owned slaves? Uh, therefore, had, America had tremendous claim against it <coughs> uh, in, in heaven that they're all uh, they're all uh, liable to the death penalty. Therefore, you have a civil war which God did on purpose is to remove the culpability and that death sentence that would hold over America. But besides that, America is tremendously prosperous. <clears throat> Whatever America does touches the gold. It's a, it's a very unusual country. In fact, America is the greatest country on earth and it's probably the greatest country to ever be on earth I mean just look at the prosperity of the average person you know I'm not talking about now with COVID-19 but just look at the prosperous of prosperity of people the average American has more property uh, more uh, wherewithal to enjoy life than the Emperor of Rome think about that that's incredible and that is the reward of a nation that is a Tev Shebe'esav that is a good part of Esau, especially that America allows uh, the Jewish people to do the Tikkun process. Uh, There's also something else. 1776, which is interesting. Now we know that creation, has, creation was made in six days. Six days. Why? Right? And therefore, uh, the, 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 uh, the Gemara says that the world will last uh, 6,000 years. Each day in the creation calendar, so to speak, is equivalent to a thousand years. Because it says, uh, David Amelach says, until 1,000 years, one day in, in your eyes is like a thousand years in ours. So therefore, you can compare the creation calendar, which will last 6,000 years, right, to the uh, civil calendar. Okay. And if you'll notice, based on that calendar, that there are many things that happen. For instance, the year 1240 CE, okay, is equivalent to the year, it's five days, so it's equivalent to the year 5,000. But how many days is that? It's five days. So that's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That means the year 1240, which is the year 5,000, which is the sixth day of creation, right, is Erev Shabbos, it's Friday. And that's one of the reasons which I mentioned a long time ago that the messianic light begins to come down. Well, what's another significant at that time? 
What's another significant time period is, is uh, 1740. 1740, right, is equivalent to 5,500, which on the creation clock or calendar is equivalent to 6 a.m. Friday morning. And that's the last day, so to speak, of the world. It's Friday morning, and which begins Friday, Arab Shabbos. That's the beginning of the last day of this world, Oilam Hazer, because this world will only last for 6,000 years, which, which is exactly six days. Now, therefore, 1740 is equivalent to 6 a.m. Friday morning. But that's dawn, you see. So if you think about it, a mere a couple of years later, uh, 1776 at the beginning of the dawn is a fundamental time of redemption also because it's the dawn of Friday morning which is the beginning of the last day of creation therefore America is founded in 1776 you see which is the year 5536 you see uh, which is right after the beginning of dawn on Friday morning because that really accelerates and intensifies the messianic process but you'll notice other things happening also is that since you had the dawn at 1740 and then after the the the, the clipper or the the the, the uh, goals of the Jews even in Europe also started changing you see because what what happened was you had the of course you had the French Revolution, you had Napoleon, you, which spread across Europe. The greatest antidote, by the way, to the Jewish persecution is democracy. Because what enabled a great deal of persecution of the Jews is monarchies, you see, kings that were incredibly evil. But what democracy does is it puts the power of a government not in the hands of a monarch, but it puts it in the hands of the people. And that means that it's more difficult for many, many people to exercise a tyranny, much more difficult. So therefore, at the beginning of the, of the Friday morning, which is 1740 and so on and onwards, it became, the exiles became easier for the Jews, you see. In America, it was the foundation, the creation of America, Tov Shebeisov, good part of Esav. And even in Europe, you had the French Revolution, which began to, of course, uh, uh, promote uh, democracy, the rule of the people. And that was the Enlightenment, the Reformation, the Renaissance, whatever you want to call it, and so on, you see? So there are many things that took place at that time. But what I'm bringing out is, what's amazing, is that 1776, July 4th, is Yud Zion Thomas. So therefore the 17th day of Thomas itself promotes or brings into creation the Tev Shebeisov, you see. And now as a result of that, we can now understand something which is very important, you see. And that's Rab Chaim Velozhin. Why does Rab Chaim Velozhin say that the last Golis is America? Because Rab Chaim Velozhin realized uh, that in the end, uh, the exiles will get easier to bear. And not only that, but the last exile will be the Toiv Shebe Esav, will be the good part of Esav. 
So not only, even though it's an exile, in the sense that we are not in our country, but it will be much easier to bear, but more important, they will actually assist or allow the Jewish people to pursue Judaism, you see. And that's why that's the last exile. Because their job in terms of America, and of course America will influence a great part of the world, now the job is to help the Jews do the tikkun, you see, and therefore they are the last exile. Because their job is no more, no longer to make the Jews suffer, but on the contrary, it's to enable the Jews to do the tikkun. So that's what Rabbi Chaim Volozhin means, that it is the last exile, you see, because it's the Toiv Esav, the good part of Esav that allows the tikkun process to continue. Because like I say, the Jews are able to learn Torah, they're able to practice their religion with complete freedom. <clears throat> now, when we think about that, we begin to look and ask, okay, so America is an exile, obviously, it's a good exile, and so on. But remember, it's an exile. It has to end. The Jewish presence in America must end. You see. Where do we see that? Because God says in Nitzavim, right, that even if your, uh, your outcasts are at the ends of the heaven, from there I will gather you, and from there, right, I will take you to me. What does that mean? That means there's a divine decree or prophecy that in the end of time, all the Jews will leave the exiles and they will come back to God, they will be rehabilitated and they will all come back to Eretz Israel. Obviously, that's what it means. Now we can ask ourselves, that's interesting, how does the American exile end? Well, what is happening now in many ways, and that's what I wanted to talk about also, what is happening now is, uh, is just incredible to watch. And what I want to offer you is that there are different scenarios, possibilities, of how the American exile can end. And I want to offer you two. And both of them are possible now. I want to show you how. Normally, how does an exile end? They're persecuted, you see. There's, they become tremendously threatened in that country, tremendous violence, and they're expelled. This is what happens most of the time. And there's a tremendous rise in anti-Semitism. If you look at all the exiles where the Jews were thrown out of one country and went to the other, I mean, the classic is, Sp is Spain, 1492, where they threw all the Jews out, you see. So they were expelled, they were threatened, of course, they were expelled, and that ended the Spanish exile, and then it be, other exiles began when the Jews moved eastward, across Europe and so on, you see. But that's usually how it enters, you see, where there's a tremendous rise in anti-Semitism, you see, there's violence, there's threats, there's expulsions. That's usually how it, end, uh, how it, uh, it, it ends and so on. So therefore the Jews have to run away, they have to flee. But what winds up is they flee to another exile. What is interesting is that that is one method of removing the Jews from one exile and to go back to another country or to go to another exile, you see. But remember, this is the last exile. America, Europe, these are the last exiles, and certainly America. 
you know, what would happen in America? Is this possible to happen? Where America can expel the Jews or threaten the Jews? That there could be a tremendous rise in anti-Semitism? Or in anti-Israel and so on? And the answer is, yes, we're watching it now. Let's take a look, okay? There are two people running for the presidency. One is Joe Biden and the other is Donald Trump, who's trying to get reelected. Imagine Joe Biden. Imagine if Joe Biden wins the presidency this November 3rd, okay? What does that mean? That will be catastrophic for America and catastrophic for the Jewish people. Why? <clears throat> Fundamentally, the greatest enemy of America, if you think about that, is those people who want to overthrow America. They want to make America socialist, you see. That's what they want to do. They want to increase the bureaucracy, the regulations, big government, big tax, make it socialist and so on. And with that always comes a rise of anti-Semitism and certainly anti-Israel, you see. Uh, but if Joe Biden becomes president, right, the incredible thing is that he is cognitively channeled, channeled, ch uh, challenged. He's, he's almost senile. It's the beginning of dementia. So what that means is that he may be a president, but he's going to be a puppet where other people will be able to control him. Who? All those people that want to overthrow America, the Antifa, you see? So it's actually possible for America to change radically if Joe Biden becomes president. Because since he is cognitively challenged, he's beginning dementia, he will follow the left, the radical left, the liberals. See, they will take control of him. They will tell him what to do. You see, the Democrats, all of them will tell him what to do, and that will be the beginning of the end of America. But if that happens, there will be a tremendous rise. Not only will the American economy suffer, but there will be a tremendous rise in anti-Semitism. And then you're going to see a mass exit of the Jewish people, and perhaps other people, but certainly the Jews. Therefore, what we realize something is very interesting. The pandemic. The pandemic is, can actually, in a certain sense, may be there to allow Joe Biden to become the president. How? Because what the pandemic has done, it has erased the achievements of Donald Trump. We know that. The economy is spinning out of control, right? Nobody can go out. People are suffering. They're dying, right? The whole country, in many ways, is suffering terribly, right? The, the, the pandemic. Uh, and what the pandemic is doing is allowing the achievements of Trump to be erased. So that's very bad for Trump's re-election campaign, you see. The second thing is the, uh, the, is the racial riots that happened because of the murder of George Floyd, which is unfortunate, and so on. But that has allowed, allowed the people who want to rebel and overthrow America, make it into a socialist, communist country, because that's basically who they are, the Antifa, they're trained communists by their own admission, right? That allows them to express their dominance and try to take over America, which also is against Trump. 
you see, because it empowers the liberal left, the Democrats, or the radical left, the liberals, and so on. So it comes out that, <clears throat> are we looking at something very strange? Is the reason why God allowed the pandemic to happen because he wants to erase the achievements of Trump? Trump has done what he has to do, which has enabled Israel to achieve tremendous successes. Jerusalem is the capital, right? And the Golan, and the embassy is moved, and so on. And uh, the, uh, there's a tremendous amount of things that Trump has done. Besides that, uh, he has curbed the Arabs and so on, without going into all what he's done, you know. Is the reason for the pandemic, now that, you know, is, is the job of Trump finished? And therefore the pandemic now erases his achievements and therefore makes it possible because now people are not having what they had economically. So therefore that puts Trump at a tremendous disadvantage. And is the reason why the racial riots have occurred in order to empower the peoples who want to overthrow America? But that would mean, if that was true, if Joe Biden wins, he will be taken over by the liberal left. And what that means is that's the beginning of the end of America, obviously. And therefore the Jews realize that. I mean, they want to defund the police. How insane can anybody be? I mean, if you have a complaint, fine. So you could retrain the police or in some way improve. Of course you can improve it. Everybody's willing to do that. But how could you defund them? That doesn't make any sense. You know, who are you going to call if, if somebody's robbing your house or threatening your, your family? Who are you going to call, a social worker? I mean, the whole thing is insane. But of course the whole reason is to overthrow America, you see? Uh, but this is all being, uh, and in fact, uh, uh, Biden even said today that he wants to take money away from the police department. I mean, look at what's happening. He's being completely influenced, you know, by the liberal left, by the Democrats. So you're watching the end of America, basically. So we, we, we ask ourselves, is that why this is happening now before Trump gets elected? Because God wants to now terminate his job, chase the Jews out of America, and, get, and get, let them all go to Israel? Well, it's interesting. It's an interesting scenario that would certainly indicate the end of uh, the Jewish uh, allegiance and residency in America. And that would end the Golas. Uh, but I think not. I think the reason for this, really, is not to empower these people, but in to destroy the, the Democratic Party. How? Because what the, 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 what the pandemic has done, especially the racial riots, it has allowed America to observe what liberal Democrats do when they're mayors and they're governors what they do when they're in political power. We, everybody realized this is insane. Uh, there is no safety and security now in America, you see. So if that's the case, how can you vote for these people? And it's not only that. They want to put in a Green Deal, which they say will cost $94 trillion over 10 years? That's insane. No oil, no gas, no coal. It's almost like, what has happened to these people, the Democrats? So it could be that what God has done, right, is to ensure the, the, the election for Trump by showing that if Democrats get in, 
if Biden gets in and he's now controlled by the, the left and the, the liberals and all that and the Antifa and so on, this is what you're going to get. So what that may mean is that the silent majority of America, which sees what's going on and realizes that if you don't have safety and security, that's the end of America. I'm not even talking about their, their crazy economic policies. And therefore, the American people will en masse go out and vote for Trump. And that will enable Trump to continue doing, because there's more to be done, what he has to do, you see. But if that happens, then clearly, how then will the American exile end? And the answer is really, you have to look at Egypt. Because in many ways, Egypt is the model of the redemption itself. Egypt is about the Mashiach himself, Sheikh bin Yosef, Moshe Rabbeinu, coming to the country of Egypt, where the Jews were, and taking them out. And that's the end of it. So that scenario, really, in many ways, means something different. It means that the Mashiach bin Yosef, whoever he is, will be released from whatever impediments tie him down, and so on. And he will grow to be an awesome spiritual individual. We're talking about a Mashiach bin Yosef. And he will come and he will be in America, because that's really basically where he is, is in America. Because we see from the Gemara uh, that it says that the Mashiach bin David is a Pischei Roimi, stands at the gates of Rome. And we know Rome today is America. Why? Because the Mashiach is always resides and is actually born into the country that he overthrows. You see, just like Moshe Rabbeinu was born in, 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 in Egypt and he was raised in the house of Parai because that was the very place that he would overthrow. So Mashiach himself is probably born in America because he's the one that in many ways takes the Jews out of America. You see? So that's a second scenario where God has allowed the, the racial riots and the pandemic to occur in, in order for the Democrats to reveal their insanities, their crazy economic policies, you see? And not only that, but the way they govern, where there's an incredible rate of enormous crime, murder, stealing, theft, arson, that's going on in many American cities. And they're doing nothing. Uh, so therefore, what he wants is in the coming election, is Trump wins, but more than Trump wins, is that the Democratic Party are really, in many ways, decimated. So it's interesting. The answer to that question leads us in two different directions. Either it guarantees the election of Trump in a, in a, in a landslide victory for Trump, or it initiates Biden, his Antifa, all the left that want to destroy America, you see, and therefore, that is the beginning of the American exile. So, either the American exile ends with America itself changing from the Toiv Shebeisav, the good part of Esav, back to the Ra Shebeisav, the evil of Esav, because apparently Trump's job will have been done, and now Israel can grow further and further on its own. So that's one possibility, and that's why what's happening now happens before the election, or it could mean the end of the Democratic Party or certainly the slaughter or the landslide against the Democrats. And that continues. And if the way the American exile happens is that the Mashiach bin Yosef 
changes the consciousness of the Jewish people, which he's able to do, because the Mashiach ben Yosef will receive an aspect of the neshama of Adam Harishan, which is called the Yechida. And that is that aspect of the soul that allows you to experience God, the Shekhinah itself. And since Adam Rishon had the, that aspect of the Neshama called the Yechida of all people, all Jewish people, and the Mashiach ben Yosef gets at least half of it, because Mashiach ben David gets the other half, then he will change the consciousness of the Jewish people, you see. And all of a sudden the Jews will realize what the truth is, and they will be rehabilitated and begin the process. And the Jews will leave America for the simple reason that everything's different. Now God is back. Sheikh ben Yosef, the redemption has started. Sheikh ben Yosef will build the base of Migdash, which I had mentioned previously, and that's why the Jews will leave. Well, what's the thing that we have to look for? November 3rd, that will tell us which way the, uh, the American exile will end. I'm, of course, I, I believe that we're looking here at a, a tremendous landslide victory for Trump. And the way it will end is in a good way in the sense that the Jews will not run from America because of the terrible catastrophe of the election of Joe Biden. But they'll run to Eretz Israel for the simple reason that Mashiach ben Yosef is here. He has changed the consciousness of the Jewish people. And that is the beginning of the redemption. Where the Jews will be the greatest nation on earth. And all peoples will realize that. And like it says in the Novi, the ten non-Jews will grab onto the cloak of a Jew and say to him, take us with you because we have heard that God is with you. That anyway will happen. So that's why I've tried to explore what is happening. It's happening now. It can go either way. Scenario one or scenario two. This is no longer theoretical, by the way. It's happening now, which means that America is actually in the, in, it's possible for scenario one to occur where Joe Biden becomes president. That's basically the end of America as we know it, be a drastically different country. That means the establishment, the left, the Democrats, will have achieved the reestablishment of the Rasha Be'esov. And therefore that will drive the Jews out. Well, let's wait and see what happens this November. Thank you.